Hello and welcome to Sitcom Geeks, the Haynes Motoring Manual of Situation Comedy. Every fortnight we look at the nuts and bolts of sitcom, taking it apart and putting it back together without hopefully too many random bits of metal left over. I'm James Carey, my co-host is Dave Cohen. Hello. And our producer is Katie Story. Hello. And let's start with you, Katie. What have you been up to in the last few weeks? Uh, I've mainly been working on John Finnamore's souvenir cabin at the shore. So kind of two weeks of that, which is really fun. What is his souvenir cabin? Uh, it was a mix of sketches, old and new, from um, his Radio 4 programme. Um, Sell-out with shows, props. isn't it? Wasn't it? It did really well, yeah. We were yeah. happy with it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was really fun. So I'm mm-hmm. um, getting John to a dinosaur onesie for his last costume change every evening. Ah. Yeah, so that's I've uh, seen that in my life. Oh <laughs> wow, that's uh, that's quite Special. a powerful image. <laughs> yeah, and uh, if there's what the few of you who are left listening to this saying who is John Finnemore, um well, we can tell you. We can tell you that John Finnemore is a um, an excellent writer who um, wrote a show called Cabin Pressure, which I recommend you getting hold of uh, because it is annoyingly good. He is is a masterclass in sitcom writing, and his current show is called Double Acts, which is on uh, Radio 4 at the moment, so you get that on iPlayer. He's not just a brilliant sitcom writer, he's also a brilliant sketch writer, and John John Finnemore's souvenir show. uh, Souvenir program. Souvenir program is also, uh, it's not on iPlayer at the moment, but it does come on quite frequently, and uh, definitely worth a listen. Masterclass in sketch writing. It is, is. so he is a masterclass in sitcom writing and sketch writing. We will one day all be his worthless slaves. Um, On iPlayer also, I happen to notice, um, is Old Harry's Game by Andy Hamilton, Mm -hmm. which is well worth getting hold of if you've not listened to it before. Uh, Andy Hamilton, who was a master sketch writer and now a master sitcom writer. Outnumbered. Outnumbered. Which is coming back for a Christmas special. Is it indeed? Um, And also Drop the Donkey, obviously, was Mm -hmm. Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkin. And there's another, there's a new show uh, called Shush on iPlayer uh, right now. And that is with Morwenna Banks and Rebecca Front. And I listened to the first episode the other day and I laughed a lot. Good. Well, it's a, a sitcom set in a library, isn't it? It is. Hence the title, Shush. So, um, I remember that programme being commissioned uh, uh, or being talked about uh, seven or eight years ago. And here we are, finally, the show is being commissioned. So there's a, a, another lesson for all of us. Keep going, keep, keep keep at it, regardless. It takes ages. Well, it's a, it's a very depressing lesson, really, isn't it? Because it is, it's yes. like, even if you're really good at it and have a long track record, you it could still take eight years. Yeah, I think what you want to tell the listeners of this podcast is you'll get rich quick. Okay. <laughs> success, Sorry, yes, of course. To, yes. Yes. <laughs> Seven really secrets <laughs> of successful sitcom writers. And tell them the that's truth, gonna and do. you do. Yes. There are no secrets. <laughs> yeah. um, Dave, what have you been up to? Oh, uh, funnily enough, oh, this is like a Radio 4 segue. Talking of shows <laughs> taking seven or eight years, I've just had a sketch show rejected by Radio 4. So uh, that's what I've been up to, getting a very disappointing email. Uh, but we've got another, se- well, we've got a mini series of uh, 15 minute musicals. There's a couple of Christmas specials. So uh, that's what mainly what I have been up to in the uh, last week or so. Great. Um, well, I've got another segue. Actually, well, James, you tell me. What, well, what no, what I've been noting, I've also had a, an annoying bit of feedback from something which I won't bore you with. Uh, but I have just spent a lot of time in the room with Milton Jones writing his Radio Fort uh, show. So that'll be out. 
at some point in the next few months. I have oh, no good. idea when. Good. So great fun. Uh, that's, it's always, real... that's always a date for your diary, the new series of a Milton Jones radio show. Always. Oh, a, well, that's very kind of you to say, but in the days of time shifting, it, it'll be an iPlayer, so uh, nobody right. will like to listen to what it goes on, I'm okay. sure. But I, I, I love working with Milton, not least because it's a very precise uh, show, so we spend a lot of time arguing about small numbers of words and trying to get something really as e- economic as it can be, and that's, for me, a really good work out uh, that's why I do the Milton Jones show right. so um, Dave you wanted to plug something um, yes uh, this is another mini segue we were talking about the Shaw Theatre there uh, named after George Bernard Shaw the great comic okay. playwright uh, and uh, there's a competition, the Shaw Society, the Bernard Shaw Society, are running a writing competition uh, for you to, uh, you have to write another, an extra scene to a Bernard Shaw play. Uh, yeah, so if you um, just look up the Shaw Society, Google it, and your uh, Shaw Society writing competition, and you'll see all the details. I think March is the deadline for it. And I think it's like a £500 cash prize. And they are looking for comedy. So and they they talk about uh, Shaw as the original sitcom writer, which I think uh, the people who, who asked me to, to mention this, which is a bit of a stretch, but he... he it's a write. bold claim to it say is, that's... Yeah. Uh, I, would, I, would, I would probably argue that... P.G. Woodhouse has a greater claim to it Probably. than George Bernard Shaw. Yeah, I think between them they, they have plenty to uh, to tell us, really, in the modern day. One other thing I'll mention as well is uh, a company called uh, Wooden Overcoats uh, got in touch with me. They, they have been writing and producing an online sitcom, which I haven't had a chance to listen to yet. A uh, bit of help from Hat Trick. They've got a top cast, including Belinda Lang and Andy Hamilton, second mention in five minutes there. Uh, and this is a sitcom. Again, if you just Google Wooden Overcoats sitcom, and then I'm sure you'll find it, and you can listen to some episodes free uh, on the old internet uh, radio thing. It's set in a funeral parlour, as you might have guessed by the title Wooden Overcoats. James, can you name the two British sitcoms that have been set in funeral parlours? I can name two. Uh, the two I can think of are Fun at the Funeral Parlour, uh-huh. which was BBC Three or BBC Choices' first yes, sitcom. That's right, yes. by Rhys Thomas. By Rhys Thomas, and I'm also thinking of In Loving Memory, right, which had Thora Heard in it. Uh, James, can you name the three British sitcoms <laughs> that have been? What's the third? Uh, the third is uh, Billy Liar, the uh, sitcom version of the uh, of the movie, also written by of the book. Of the book, also written by uh, Keith Waterhouse and Willis Hall. Um, wow. So, so, bit of yeah. sitcom uh, knowledge there. I didn't have that there one. There you go. Sitcoms. But, but you weren't expecting In Loving Memory, were you? I was not, no. I could even give that. you the theme tune if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's been on a bassoon. Right, um, okay. As, as I think lots of sitcoms yeah. had to be in the... So tenor bassoon or bass bassoon? Mm, it was quite low. I bet you it's yeah. probably the uh, bass bassoon. There is only one type of bassoon, I think. Oh, is there? I think so, yeah. You laid a trap for me. I did. Right. Um, let's get into our subject today, which is ensemble sitcoms. Um, and ensemble sitcoms, are, the, the David Croft sitcoms, I would say, particularly lend themselves to this uh, definition, like Heidi High, Hello, Hello, Dad's Army, Are You Being Served, where you have a large cast of characters. Um, and you would argue maybe Friends is one as well. Yeah, um, Friends, although that presumably, well, from from what you've said to me before, you don't think that that... that didn't actually start as uh, the idea for an ensemble. It was a, it was a vehicle, wasn't it, for Courtney Cox? Courtney Cox, and they thought it would be a Courtney yeah. Cox and Matt LeBlanc show, I think. But, you know, I think yeah. all these origin stories are disputed, yeah. apocryphal, right. go into folklore. Right. Uh, shows like MASH, 
Um, Cheers is probably again that is is the most obvious one. It's it's a pub, it's a bar. Yeah, lots and lots of people coming to a bar. Yeah, um, and I guess. Um, I'll honour you by saying Bluestone in the same breath as Friends. Yeah, well, like Friends, yeah, yeah, yeah. Bluestone 4-2 yeah. uh, is uh, set... It, it didn't start out as an ensemble, did it, really? It was, no, it didn't. Um, in our minds, it... Well... There are, no, there are at least nine characters, and we couldn't really get it in our heads any smaller than that. And... That was partly because we had to reflect the military reality of it mm-hmm. in that one of the things we were keen to do is make it as militarily accurate as possible. So a bomb disposal guy, an ammunition technical officer, has a number two uh, who helps them do that job. And there is always somebody from Signals who is also doing that job. So that's your little team of three. Mm-hmm. And then you have a military escort which we discovered subsequently could only be could be only one person, but we had three for some reason. And then you needed a bit of chain of command, and you needed somebody outside of the group, and you know, and we needed an interpreter. So we got to nine fairly quickly. Right. So that's kind of how um, how it began. But in one sense, it felt like an ensemble show, even more so towards the end, because although we started with the show being very much about uh, Captain Nick Medhurst. And his attempts to uh, woo Mary, the, the Padre. We actually, at the end of Series 1, lost Nick's number 2, the sidekick, and replaced him with another one. We lost Mary at the end of Series 2, and we lost Nick, spoilers, in the second episode of Series 3. So the people who got on the helicopter to go home at the end of Series 3 were relatively different <laughs> to yeah. the people... Uh, this is who, not uncommon, is it? Yes, that's right, yeah. Um, the, 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 like you say, the show that starts... The, the, the show that begins in your head... Yes. ...compared to the show that's actually out there. Yeah. And, you know, life gets in the way, doesn't it? Or yeah. Or something happens and an actor doesn't gel or what, yeah. whatever reason or some other character who you had as a minor character suddenly takes on a life of their own. And so, so the dynamic of the show... But I'd say kind of by, you know, kind of midway through series two, we're very much looking at something that felt like an ensemble. To yes. Uh, yes, even though we actually in series two in particular, we tried to make sure that that Nick had the A story in every single episode. Right. Uh, but you're right. It felt like we were trying to service all of the characters. Um, I guess I partly had a good, picked up some experience of that writing... Um, my Hero, which was a BBC One sitcom, much forgotten and uh, unloved, but did six, did five popular. or six series and did over 50 episodes. Yeah. Um, I wrote six of them. And in that, you have Ardlo Hanlon, you had his wife, you had their next-door neighbour, you had a sidekick, you had uh, Geraldine McNulty, you had... Um, uh, Pete Den- Hugh Dennis's character, mm. you then had... You know, uh, some parents as well. So you got to eight right. very, very quickly, yeah. and they all had to be in every episode, right. and they all had to have an attitude mm-hmm. uh, and a plot. Yeah. So, you know that that really got me going in terms of thinking how many you can actually get into mm-hmm. half an hour. Yeah. And then uh, with with those shows, if you've got a main character, we've got one main character yes. who's kind of run, running the show, then, then you've got lots of sort of characters around them. It well. really helped that um, on My Hero, it was about Ardlo Hanlon's character, was who was a superhero. Yeah. And 
I think you do need in a in a gang show, an ensemble show, a strong central character, and in My Hero you have that with Ardley Handen's character. And the other great show I always go on about is is Bilko, the Phil Silver show. Hmm. So you have the this Titanic central performance, and then all of the other characters around are are foils really to that yeah. one central character. But you have to, we, we mentioned uh, David Croft, and uh, of course he, he his name is one half of the writing team on on some of the biggest TV shows of the seventies and eighties. Uh, Dad's Army. Uh, are you being uh, served? Are you being served? A low, a low. And they, I mean, Dad's Army, I suppose, Mannering and, and Wilson were the main characters. But, yeah. um, a low, is very much about Rene Artois. Yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. are you being served is probably a little bit harder. Yeah. That, that really That's, did feel much more. The, the, the shop was kind of the star almost, wasn't it, really? In, uh, I guess to so. Extent, in that. And uh, I suppose actually. Um, shop culture. Yeah, and I think that does bring us on to. Uh, the first point, really, we've, we yeah. were thinking about about why you would want to do an ensemble sitcom yeah. is 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 the sh- is the setting of it. Yeah, and yeah. you've had a couple of thoughts on that. Yeah, yeah. The set is uh, in, in the, some of the, in the great sitcoms. I think the the, the set is almost like another character uh, in a show. And so, in something like Friends, uh, Central Perk. I mean, it just it it kind of invented the kind of cafe culture really mm. didn't it around the world i mean start we look at starbucks and all the all the mm. cafes and, and they're all basically uh the, the the premise of all these places is friends isn't it it's like this is a place it's not just a place where you go and buy your coffee it's a place where you hang out with your friends and sit on trendy sofas and and you know that was 25 years ago when friends started that was a a, a kind of revolutionary idea um, and so uh, you have... our producer has no memory of those times, do you, Katie? <laughs> no, there were no coffee shops when when we were when we were young. Well, you had wooden spoon cafe, greasy spoon cafe. But yeah. uh, I can't imagine uh, friends ever being set in the Golden Egg uh, on White Hart Road in Bristol, <laughs> where I ate some of the most disgusting sandwiches in my <laughs> student years. Um, well, I mean, the, the set is an important thing, though, and the in the ensemble show because I do feel one ensemble show in my head at least is open all hours. Yeah. And again, you've got a strong central character hmm. and then the, the, then the shop itself, and I'm thinking in particular the till, yeah. is almost another character, isn't exactly. it? Where every yeah. time he sort of opens yeah. it and shuts it, it, yeah. it, it bites and then the, the tin always falls off the top. Yeah, yeah. So you, you have these, uh, these really evocative... Uh, places. So you look at you, you look at shows like uh, like a show like Dad's Army, uh, and and it's the church hall is the really where virtually everything takes place. And these guys are basically doing war in a church hall, and it's <laughs> that already. It's funny mm-hmm. um, that um, are, are you being served as we mentioned, obviously, um, and um, the one. Well, oh, cheers! You've got the bar as well. I mean, the bar is a, it's yeah. In one sense, it's. It, it lends itself to an ensemble sitcom purely because it is a bar. And I guess there was, there was a British show, which I don't think I ever saw, Early Doors, which is also yeah. a pub yeah. a pub setting. Yeah. And Which, interestingly, that one, and that was a non-audience sitcom, and that really made me think of Coronation Street. And Coronation Street, I suppose, is almost like the sort of uh, precursor to, to Cheers. It was uh, <laughs> the Rover's Return, really was, you know, where where we all went. And it didn't matter that you saw people going to the toilets and you worked out the geography and they were actually walking into Ken Barlow's living room. <laughs> but you just kind of, it was a sort of, there's just something that's, uh, 
there was something about the rover's return that that was um, it just just was uh, the, a sort of perfect solid place. And of course, EastEnders they set up they had the Queen Vic, and so yeah, the the the, the pub is a very as, a, as an English thing, it's a very central thing. But yes, with Cheers, obviously, it's where just about every scene, apart from the little occasional scenes in. The, the, the sort of the back office, yeah. Many, but virtually everything happens there. So that so the setting, it's great uh, if you've got a really strong sense of a, a setting. And at Heidi High, you know, it's a holiday camp, and obviously it's not necessarily a specific room, mm. but it's it's a place, and people are stuck in that place. And it, it, it's you, you know, if you if the idea that you have, you want to do a sitcom, and, and with Bluestone, mm. obviously, you're, or Mash you're stuck in this place yeah. you really there's no way that you're going to get out of this place I mean, except Ain't you, Our Hot Mum is, is, you know, is yeah. another one it's, a, it's an army base in, the, yeah. in a hot place and yeah, and, yeah. so that's so, so, so the setting is that, that, that's, that's one of the main yeah that's definitely uh, the, the, the place itself is, is great and, and having that one place as well uh, it just allows you to really sort of concentrate on the characters doesn't it? And then, and that's why, where you know, if we talk again a bit, a bit about Cheers, um, do you think about the um, that the, uh, we, we just, there are just so many sort of memorable characters. One so memorable that he went off and got his own sitcom for yeah. another ten years, yeah. Fraser Crane, of course. And so, um, so yeah, it's a good. You can really uh, do a lot of work with your characters because mm. they're just they're just in the pub, you mm. know. Yeah. So that's that's the first uh, reason that you would want to have um, I'm not doing ensemble. I think then we've talked a little bit there. This comes on to the next idea, which is about writing an audience sitcom. Yeah, and that's uh, people audience sitcom. They they every five years they come into fashion and then they go out of fashion again. Um, they went out of fashion for quite a long time when single camera uh, sitcoms began. And very early in the life of the single camera sitcom, uh, we had The Office, and The Office was a huge hit, and everybody thought, "What a wonderful show!" And which came up, which actually came after The Royal Family, didn't it? Oh, actually, yes, I suppose The Royal, Royal Family was probably the first big non-audience sitcom, um, and everybody wanted audience non-audience sitcoms. First of all, they're a, a damn sight cheaper to mm. make. Uh, you can probably make three or four yeah. non-audience sitcoms, can't you, for the price of an, an audience? Well, I don't know whether it's that much. Certainly, it may be two to one, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, at the time, they they just felt more fresh and modern, didn't they? Yeah. So, it, although it was, you just couldn't have done yeah. The Moral Family in front of an audience, mm, and, it some, and, it, and it felt like that it was... A new thing, and therefore yeah. everyone started to chase after the new thing, which is completely understandable. And also, so what happened as well was that comedy then became associated with a sort of realism that it hadn't had before. We we always accepted an audience sitcom in the same way that we accepted watching Morecambe and Wise sitting next to each other in their single beds in in their mm. in their room at bedtime. We didn't we didn't uh, go. Hmm, what's this about? What's yeah. the homoerotic uh, yeah. implications of these two men? So when we came back to sitcoms, and I think this is probably the sort of low point of the sitcom uh, audience sitcom was sort of you know like the, the sort of the two thousands yeah. when everybody was getting into the non audience one. 
the sound of the laughter was just sound and the, and the, the bright lights mm. it was just a bit the artificiality of it kind of uh, made people go what's going on here those that audience isn't laughing it's all canned laughter and, yeah, yeah. and and I think that what's won it back is the sitcoms like Miranda and Mrs. Mm. Brown's Boys. That kind IG of, Crowd as well was quite yeah, a big one, wasn't it? But they, 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 those two specifically acknowledged that, hey, I am in a room and there is an audience there and there's a sort of the wink to the camera yeah. or, the, or the sort of Mrs. Brown's Boys, oh, I'm just going to go and fetch my prop from the previous scene. So there was a kind of postmodern yeah. kind of version of the audience sitcom that brought people back to it. But generally writers don't want to write audience sitcoms um and i say write them because uh not enough writers write audience sitcoms and lots and lots and lots of people want to write these kind of really uh trendy looking beautiful yeah and a, a lot of people are and i think a lot of people writing comedy feel like they are thwarted filmmakers auteurs and auteurs yes rather than i mean and also it's the subject for another podcast, and I think mm. I've blogged about it. For me, the non-audience sitcom springs more from movies, and the audience sitcom springs more from theatre. Yeah. So I think there's, for for me, I'm I'm more excited about theatre than I am about movies. So that for me, I'm always pushing towards the audience anyway. But also the the barefaced capitalist in me is also looking towards audience sitcom because I know for a fact that commissioners want them especially on BBC One mm. and therefore if you can you really should because you will get you know I remember you saying before when Lucy Lumsden was at the BBC the sheer ratio of audience sitcoms to non-audience sitcoms was was ludicrous wasn't it yeah is that right yeah. so something like she got 250 scripts of which 200 were non-audience and maybe and, and it was less than 50 were were audience yeah. sitcoms and given that they would rather commission audience and non-audience you think well the audience the the odds are much better in your favor if yeah. you write an audience show but obviously you need to do whatever the whatever is suitable for your show you should do that but mm. do bear in mind the audience show is 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 strong and, it, and if your set is uh, a character in its own right if it is very evocative and it does lend itself to it then you know the ensemble show is yeah is 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 going to could, could be beckoning and th- th- this is the this is the difference between writing an audience and a non-audience sitcom you are limited you are you're limited by the number of sets that you can have because you're in a studio and you have maybe two or three sets at the most rather than seeing that as a limitation maybe you should, you see that as a well okay I've got this ensemble there in one place. That's actually, I'm going to use that. That is a, a, a good thing. Uh, the other thing about when you're writing audience sitcom as opposed to non-audience, there's, you, you, you know that you have to make every other line funny, laugh out loud funny, because if you've not got a laughing out loud audience, um, you've, you've not got, got, a got an audience sitcom. And so, so, so you need to be a bit, a bit broader. But again, rather than think of that as a disadvantage, think about, well, what's the situation that I can write where broadness isn't necessarily a weird thing, where you mm. can have that broad humour and it can be, it's a big thing, it's in one place, it's got a lot of people. And uh, that's, that, that's a good, a good way of uh, approaching writing sitcom as mm. well. Yes, I should. I should be trying to get that and that's why we generally say try writing more audience sitcoms yeah. than non 
Um, so the, and so what's the another advantage of audience? Uh, sorry, of, of ensemble comedy, ensemble well, sitcoms. Again, you've got these lots of these uh, characters, and you know the the great thing is, uh, and again we'll be talking about secondary characters uh, next time. But we, you you get these uh, catchphrases. That, you know, you can have a character that just has the one catchphrase. Or the thing that they do, they walk in, they do it yeah. and walk off. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of... And actually even... And that can really build over time as well. I don't know how big uh, Norm was meant to be in an yeah. episode of Cheers. But actually, every time he walked in, the whole bar shouts, Norm. Yeah. And then Woody would say, would ask him a question and he would have a funny response. And so, in one sense, he had a catchphrase, but it had a shtick every single time. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I remember, it's like, uh, you know, even everybody, Norm! Is it Jack, Jack Frost nibbling at your toes? Yeah, and I'd like to get Joe Beer nibbling at my liver, <laughs> which is a lovely little bit. And every week, yeah. you know, yeah. it was always a different one. Yeah. The audience would love that. Yeah. Um, so, the ensemble show means that you can just do that with characters. Um, I think Open All Hours, again, is another good example of that, where... There is stuff in the shop, and then there's a sort of a series of people come in and do yeah. a funny thing and go out yeah, again. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. sometimes it has consequences, and sometimes it doesn't. Right. And the audience is very happy with that arrangement. Yeah. Well, I know. Well, Fraser is a good example in Dad's Army. He always, you know, we, we, as soon as I say Fraser, we know the phrase. You know, we're doomed. We're all doomed. We're all doomed. But then occasionally he'd do a little story. He'd sit and tell a little kind of story and bore the pants off yeah. somebody and it would just be like a ghost story or something he just like enjoyed scaring the person you know and that was just like, that's his other little thing but yeah. it's all it, it's a subsection of we're all doomed and by the way I'm really pleased that we're all doomed and, yes you know, there's a, a sort of satisfaction way. in it wasn't yeah, there yeah yeah which you know when you've got a long running show you can you can you've got something really nice to build on from yeah. that. You you had a character in uh, in thirty three. Yeah, who because with those characters who are recurring and again maybe a topic for another podcast, but with the recurring characters with catchphrases, you can you can push them a lot further because they are slightly less real. Hmm. They are slightly more uh, extreme, and so my, one of my own favourite characters from my own work, if I may, uh, you people like that. Uh, Minka, played by an actress, uh, you don't really see her much anymore, called Olivia Coleman. I don't know if you've come across her. Yeah. She played a character what called... Happened to her? No, 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 whatever yeah. happened to her. But Olivia played a character called Minka, who was a, uh, a po- member of the Polish resistance, or ex-member of the mm. Polish resistance. And she was very funny because she was an utter psychopath. And she, every, but every time she arrived within a scene, she would, she would say something unannounced and everyone would jump because she'd suddenly appeared. Was, she gave the impression that she could move silently or appear in a room without anybody ever right. knowing. So she was always a very threatening and menacing character. Um, so we had a lot of fun with her, but there's a sense in which the more of that character you see, the less you really want to see. You want to keep them fairly small, in the same way that you could never really have the Kramer show in Seinfeld as a spin-off, yeah. because... To, Kramer is never more than a quarter of any one episode of Seinfeld yeah. mm-hmm. because much more than that and you, th- you would start to go well hang on this is nonsense this person couldn't possibly <laughs> yeah. exist yeah. <laughs> so if you have characters like that an ensemble show is very useful uh, because they can come in do do their shtick mm-hmm. go off and maybe come back pay off the shtick and, and you're done yeah so that it does work very well with that yeah 
Um, I think um, just um, the, the last um, thought really on, on this is um, with an ensemble. When if you're developing the idea, as you're developing the idea, and hopefully as you're getting halfway through your fantastically successful first series going out, and you start to see some of the actors who who bring the other characters to life and so uh the people who you thought were the main characters weren't and then uh, and suddenly they get these sort of people who come through and, and again uh the friend, friends example yeah friend, of, friends is a uh where where, where they suddenly realized the show was ross and rachel yeah and they hadn't quite seen that one coming it took on a life of its own mm. but actually you see it in the opening two minutes of the opening episode her entrance, which happens to be the big funny entrance, the five, the other five of them are all there chatting away, which was you know kind of what the show was to some extent. And then Rachel comes in to a cafe, but she's in the full sort of wedding gear, mm. and that that massive entrance from that point onwards, mm. you know, it's kind of it's a show about her and and, and Ross, as you say. Um, Cheers, uh, just just to come back to Cheers again. Fraser Crane was pro- no doubt one of a dozen. People who were coming in and, and just gradually, obviously, she was an ex-boy. She was a boyfriend of Diane at one point, wasn't she? And then he sort of split up with her, or they got married yeah. at one point, and then came back. And anyway, it's sort yeah. of Diane left, but Fraser yeah. kept coming to the bar. That's right, yeah. And then Lilith came, and so we got this whole, we got this whole sort of backstory of Fraser that, that was sort of built up as the show went on, really. And that they obviously, he was obviously like. The, the camera liked him, the audience liked him, or whatever, and there was, and so the writers obviously liked writing him, and that's how you know he he developed out of it. I mean, in a sense, it's a good lesson to learn, really, um, that we've you know we've we've talked about this ensemble thing as if it's a you can really plan it, and in one sense, the sick planning your sitcom is is like a military plan, as in you go in with a plan. But the moment you turn up at the prearranged spot, yeah. the plan is immediately out of the window. Right. So to to go in with no plan is a disaster. So in one sense, with your ensemble show, you, you do need to know what every character is doing. You're not just thinking yeah. of nine random characters and hoping to heck that three of them are going to gel and give you a show. You do need to go in with a much clearer idea of what you think the show is about or should be about. Yeah. And mindful of the fact that the moment you've you've started writing this the the camera the microphone the audience will just veer towards particular characters and even when it even when that does happen sometimes it takes a quite a strong act of will to make to to know that that character won't sustain that amount of attention like Kramer we said earlier yeah to make sure no 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 if we have if less is more with this character yeah whereas you might be starting to get notes saying oh this character is really funny we I've just had that on a script recently where someone said oh I I like this I'm worried about your two main characters because I'm finding this subsidiary character funnier and the response was slightly, yes, but they're a profoundly negative character and they just slag things off so it's quite easy for them to be funny because they don't really have to carry things. Yeah. So our response to that is not to let's have more of that character but to mm. fix the other characters and give them yeah. more motivation, make them funnier. So That it suddenly is... reminded me of Keith from The Office, actually, when you were saying that. Yes. Well. A great example of... Someone who's in a relatively small amount, but who whose impact has has continued 
I mean, he's probably he's probably more well known than some of the much bigger characters when you think of The Office. Yeah, and also he's him. in that one amazing scene where he's doing the staff appraisal. Yeah, <laughs> the, you know what were the options again? <laughs> and he's sort of going with this. It is an amazingly funny thing. It's brilliant. Yeah. So um, that's our that's what our topic of conversation today was the ensemble show. We hope you found some of that useful and that it will. Uh, turn into something uh, funny at some point um that's uh, not a terribly good conclusion is it really but uh, as i say i mean that the, the problem with it this can is take on a life of its own you it te- these things take on life of their own and therefore we can talk technical but then the moment you write these characters you start to hear them you put them in front of other people they they do start to behave in ways that are unexpected so yeah. in that sense there's a limit to how much you can theorize so that's our uh, that's our podcast for this week. Uh, we have a few things uh, to plug. We're doing a sitcom uh, course, aren't we? A Very two soon, day yes. uh, two day thing. Last chance to mention this, I think. Uh, and in early November, yeah, and fifth and sixth in uh, the Canal Museum in Kings Cross. Uh, yeah. So uh, look that up online. Look on my uh, website, uh, sitcomgeek.blogspot.com, and there's a little box on the right hand side yeah. Dave's website Dave is davecohen.org.uk is probably easy to remember Dave has also written an excellent book which is called How to Be Averagely Successful at Comedy and mine is called Writing That Sitcom which is and very good which is uh, uh, which I hope is useful also we have a we have a Facebook page which I have mm. never mentioned before. No, and I keep seeing it, it keeps coming up on my page and, and intimidating me. It says uh, you saying things like you haven't updated this page for three days now. Yeah, uh, and uh, making so us feel of, terribly guilty. Yeah, and I thought, so oh, I've got enough on my life. Yes, that's yes, right. fair enough. You're, so you're right. if you want updates or anything, or you could even get in contact with us through that, then uh, sitcom geeks. Uh, which is on on Facebook, so look for us there and like us, even if you secretly hate us. You can also contact us uh, via email at sitcomgeeks at gmail dot com. That's sitcomgeeks at gmail dot com. Use that that little at at the beginning might have confused. Okay, people. sitcomgeeks at gmail dot com. Yeah. Also, uh, we don't ask for money for this show. If you want to contribute to the podcast, the two things you can do are recommend us to a friend or tweet a link to us. That would be very nice. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Especially a glowing one. A glowing one would be nice. Katie? I would accept money. So. You, oh, our producer will accept money. <laughs> yeah. So uh, do do work out some way of sending us money. That would be yeah. great. Just a few thank yous. Thank you to Rushforth Media for allowing us to use their studio space. We are very grateful to them. Thanks to Jane Watkins, who composed our Two Ronnie's Meets Are You Being Served theme tune. Thanks to the British Comedy Guide, who hosts us on their server, and to Katie, our producer. That's all from us. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>